developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shinjo for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. This episode also sponsored by LinkedIn. Are you hiring? There's a good chance the person you're looking for is on LinkedIn right now. Go to linkedin.com slash mission log and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 281, The Storyteller. Welcome into Mission Log, a, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. Wait, wait, no. Okay, Ken, you've really got to sell it to people. Like, like this. I'm John Champion, and this is Mission Log. Okay, yeah. I'm bringing you um, um, morals and meanings and messages of every episode of Star Trek. Okay, better. We're getting better. Now, I really want to hear you punch it up. Like, gather round, dear listeners, while we tell the tales of adventures and the far reaches of the galaxy. And may your puny souls be spared the wrath of the Dalrock. Bow down and grovel for its mercy. Yeah, that... Okay. It's kind of taken a dark turn. Entrails! Uh, no, uh, yeah, way, way, way too dark. How about we just tell people that we'll be discussing Deep Space Nine, the storyteller, after I do trivia, but first... But first! A word from Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Oh, man, these things. They're authorized by CBS Studios, as you know. They are made from quality, weighty, solid materials, as you know. They are based on the CG models used in production of the latest Star Trek series. I like to call it disco. These things are just, like, these things are awesome. You know, I, uh, recently, John, I was moving a bunch of stuff around. Okay, just just for fun. Just, yeah, like, I got to put this over here and right. that over there. Right, yeah. I mean, this will be in this one time zone, and this will mm. be in this other time zone. And what it gave me a chance to do uh, was really look closely at my Eagle Moss ships <laughs> before I, you know, put them in a box and put them in another box and then, you know, put them in another place. Um, I mean, just, I mean, and, and, and every time I see one of these ships or every time... Because this is the other thing. Like, I had two of them sitting on my nightstand for quite a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that sort of sometimes falls back into the scenery. Mm-hmm. I highly encourage you, if you've got an Eagle Moss ship, to go right now and take a look at it. Because if you stop and take a look, you will be amazed at the detail and the quality. All the stuff that you first saw 
just take a chance to look at it again because you will be amazed again. And for you people who don't have your first Eagle Moss ship yet, uh, boy, are you in for a treat. <laughs> it's because there's so much detail and I'm always finding new details to look at. Like, I'll be straight up honest with you, Ken. Uh, I'm not a very good model builder. Uh, I appreciate Starship models. I, I bought Starship models as a kid. Not so good at putting them together. Um, I, I'm very impatient. Uh, I need it to be done right away. Um, and this is kind of the perfect thing because there is so much more detail in these models than I could ever hope to accomplish. And it, it they really, truly bring you in. You can pick it up and any one of them each time and discover something new about it. And of course, these are the official Star Trek Discovery starships, authorized, as you said, by CBS Studios. So tell me about, say, the Shinjo, if I were to pick that one up, Ken. Well, what's really cool is, I mean, as you pointed out as well, these are the bigger ships. So you don't have to peer in to see, you know, the detail that you're talking about. Uh, the Shinjo, for example, NCC-1227 is nearly eight inches from front to back. It uh, comes with that really cool display base. And then, of course, it also comes with the uh, collector's magazine with the stuff about, you know, designing the ship, designing the model, and then all the in-universe stuff, uh, you know, that we love to dwell on so much. Because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you're a nerd and so am I. And that Ooh, stuff's fun. Hey. Now, this first ship in the collection, the Shenzo, is available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping. And you can start that collection at eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Now, additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery, it's like they named the show after that one, NCC-1031, and the, say the USS Corella, that would be NCC-1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey, they'll ship out monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, also with free shipping. And subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over a 100 bucks, and they may cancel their subscriptions at any time. You can find the full details at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Now, fans who would like to purchase their favorite ships individually can do that either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at their local comic book shop. That'll go for the regular price of $54.95 each. But again, to subscribe eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships and a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. As he said a moment ago, John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we dive straight really can't say dive straight if you do like four things first, can you? But with that, we dive into trivia. We, we arrive at trivia. Yes, we, that, we've yeah, now hit. Yeah. Oh, regale us with the story of the trivia <laughs> of the storyteller, won't you please, Mr. Champion? Well, here we go, Ken and dear listeners. Trivia for the storyteller. The story was written by Kurt Michael Bensmiller. And uh, Kurt has just one other professional writing credit. 
That would be from the second season of Next Gen, when he created the story that would be Time Squared. Go back a little bit further, though, and he had actually pitched this very story even earlier during Next Gen Season 1, and nobody wanted it. Except Michael Piller. Now, he held on to the script for years, and every time he'd try to get some interest on Next Gen, he got shot down. Well, finally, with Deep Space Nine going into production, he championed it again. And this time around, he had a big hand in developing it, but the teleplay credit goes to Kurt Michael Bensmiller and Ira Stephen Bear. It was Ira who really polished the character stuff, mostly fleshing out the Bashir and O'Brien relationship to make sure this episode gets something character-driven in addition to the action. It was directed by David Livingston, and we just talked about David when he directed The Nagus. He's a longtime Trek veteran and has many more episodes to go. And yes, this story was influenced heavily by The Man Who Would Be King. The original short story by Rudyard Kipling was published in 1888. And if you're like me, you first became aware of it from the awesome 1975 film directed by John Huston and starring Sean Connery and Michael Caine. That story takes place in the Indian province Kafiristan, now in modern-day Afghanistan, where two former British Army officers plan to loot a king's treasures. On the way, though, one is mistaken for a god. And if you're looking for another Trek connection, well, in that movie, the role of the journalist, essentially Kipling's first-person character in the book, is played by General Chang himself, Christopher Plummer. Hey, does that Bajoran village look familiar? The exterior shots were first used in Birthright, Parts 1 and 2. You might recall that Dan Curry had set up a mat with a model and some shots that he had taken in the jungle on a trip to Thailand. And the spotlight this week, the final trading card in the whole collection. Please don't eat the gum. It's been sitting on the shelf a very long time. The final collector card is Max Grudenchik. A New York-born Max Grudenchik is best known, of course, for his portrayal of Ferengi Rom on DS9. But he has appeared in other productions that I've enjoyed quite a lot. He was in Barton Fink. He was in Apollo 13, uh, The Rocketeer, and the Sean Connery-Wesley Snipes movie Rising Sun. Before DS9, though, we saw him a couple of other times on Trek. In Next Gen, he played different Ferengi characters in Captain's Holiday and in The Perfect Mate. And we would have actually seen him as a trill in Star Trek Insurrection, but that scene was ultimately cut from the final film. If you've got the DVD, you can see it on there with Max, uh, well, looking a lot more like Max, but with spots on his head. Interesting. So we, we finish our trading card collection uh, with a guy who is not in today's episode. Very true. Yeah, a little reference to him in this episode, but uh, but he is part of the regular main cast, so uh, there, there's the complete set right there. And you know what? We, we have some returning friendly faces, at least one, in a regular <laughs> role, but we'll get there. We'll get there yeah. when the time comes. Five yeah. bucks says we don't remember the trading card thing by the time we get to them. Oh, I, I hope we will. I, I'll start making trading cards, so <laughs> we'll remember. How's that? <laughs> that sounds grand. All right. Now let's talk about the guest stars in this episode. We have Jim Jansen playing Farron Kag, the leader of the Nevat. Jim has been working constantly in front of the camera since the 70s, mostly guest roles uh, like on The Office, Monk, and Newhart, to name a few. Recurring roles cropped up on The X-Files and The Gilmore Girls and the TV version of Weird Science. 
He'll be back for one more appearance on DS9, and he lends his voice talent to the Star Trek Armada video game. Gina Phillips plays Varys Sol, the leader of the Paku. Gina is from Florida, and this role was an early one among many other guest spots on TV. Later on, though, she has recurring roles on Boston Public and Ally McBeal, but she might be best known for starring in the horror movie Jeepers Creepers. Lawrence Monsoon plays Hovath, the young Syrah in waiting. Now, he started out with a string of feature films, The Last American Virgin, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, and Mask, the Cher movie, not the Jim Carrey movie. Then he found a ton of work in the 90s and beyond on TV, including recurring roles on ER and Beverly Hills 90210. He'll make a return to Star Trek in a few years with a guest spot on Enterprise. And finally, K.E. Cutler plays the Syrah. And we've met K. before. He was an alien presence, the Cytherian, in Next Gen's The Nth Degree. Remember that big giant floating head? That was him. Now, he had been working steadily since the early 50s and even appeared in Guys and Dolls with Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra. His character, Newt Kylie, crossed over from Petticoat Junction to Green Acres in the mid-60s. And after Trek, he kept working in TV as a voice actor. He's also notable for The Last Starfighter and definitely don't forget a guest turn in Sid and Marty Cross, Far Out Space Nuts, sharing the screen with Bob Denver and Chuck McCann. Kay passed away in 2003. Taking a look at the five-day forecast. Cloudy, with a chance of total annihilation. Prologue. Commander Sisko has been asked by the Bajoran government to mediate a land dispute between the Paku and the Navat. Meanwhile, Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir are headed to the surface to do something. Bashir will tend to some unknown medical emergency threatening the safety of a village. O'Brien will go along as a very reluctant chauffeur. Not much is known about the Paku leader, Varus Sul. The Paku tend to avoid contact with outsiders, so you can forgive the surprise expressed by Kira and Sisko to find that he is a she, and she is a teenager. Act 1. Bashir is really excited to be spending time on this trip with O'Brien. O'Brien feels exactly the opposite. Small talk. Call me Julian. None of it seems to warm up the engineer. Still, O'Brien will give it a go. When they get to Bajor, the village is in the throes of... A lovely day? Except for this one guy. The village magistrate takes Bashir and O'Brien to a very old, ailing man, saying if he dies, we all die. Back aboard DS9, preliminary talks are underway between the Paku and the Navat. The border between their lands is determined by a river, but the path of that river was diverted by the Cardassians during the occupation, giving the Paku more land than they'd had before. The Navat would like that land back, though the young leader of the Paku will not budge. Short preliminary meeting adjourned. On the promenade, Jake and Nog are being teenagers, hitting passers-by with pebbles, being harassed by security chief Odo, falling in love at first sight with Varys Sewell. Just another day on the promenade. Nog says he has to meet that girl. Back on Bajor, the old ailing individual, the village Surah, says Bashir must be the one the prophet sent. But no, it's not Bashir, it's... it's... O'Brien. 
And with that settled, he sends them on their way. Outside, Bashir gives the magistrate the bad news. The Sarah is dying. He can be made comfortable, but he cannot be saved. Great. Now who's going to save them from the Dalrock, the creature that lives in the woods, bent on destroying the village? For five nights every year at the end of the harvest, the Dalrock comes. The Sarah is the only one strong enough to stop it. Julian says the Sarah isn't even strong enough to get out of bed, leaving the magistrate to say, They're doomed. Act 2. Jake and Nog have found their way to the quarters of Varus Sewell. She says she'd be happy to be shown around the station by Nog and Jake Sisko. Back on Bajor, a little thing like imminent death won't keep the Syrah down. He's got a story to tell. Well, story, pep rally. The wind whips, clouds roll in, the Dalrock wakes. It hates the village. It envies the villagers. But the villagers are strong. What's weird? Well, one of the weird things, O'Brien's sensors are picking up nothing. But something is happening. When the Sarah says the strength and unity of the villagers is strong, a sort of energy pulses from the village, hitting the Dalrock, driving it back, until the old man falls over. The villagers scatter, which breaks their defense against the Dalrock. With nothing to stop it, the Dalrock begins to bombard the village. Act 3. And it's still bombarding the village. Until the Sarah tells O'Brien that his time is now. He feeds lines to O'Brien, who yells them out and rallies the villagers. United once again, the energy pulse shoots out of the Dalrock, and the village is saved. Thanks to Miles O'Brien? Also, the Syrah is dead. But it's cool! They have a new Syrah! Miles O'Brien. On DS9, things are going nowhere between the Paku and the Navat. While she is at the negotiating table, Vera Sewell won't give an inch, literally or figuratively. She tells Sisko that the Paku are willing to die to defend what is theirs. See you when negotiations resume tomorrow. On the promenade, Nog and Jake are arguing about Varys, where she is, who likes her more, at their usual perch. Well, hello, there's Varys. She confides in them that she has a problem. Someone wants something from her that she doesn't want to give up. Nog's advice? Figure out what they have that you want and bargain. Jake's advice? Ask my dad. Odo's advice? Go find somewhere else to hang out. Back on Bajor, O'Brien is having real trouble with this Syrah business. The Dalrock will be back tonight, and he has no idea how to defeat it. And, oh, look, gifts for the Syrah. Food, flowers, companionship, if you know what I mean. That offer is rescinded when Miles says he's married. But that's cool. The magistrate is looking forward to meeting O'Brien's wife and child when they come here to live forever because he's the Syrah and they need him to keep the village safe. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. O'Brien says he's not staying, which the magistrate says means the village is doomed. Well, there's only one answer now. Science! O'Brien says they need to figure out what the Dalrock is and destroy it before it destroys them. Act 4. Day 2 of the talks between the Paku and the Navat are as fruitless as the first, though Varys is making headway in her own way. She quizzes Nog about his opportunity idea. 
He says she needs to follow her instinct. That's how she'll know whether the risk is worth it. It is as the ninth rule of acquisition states, instinct plus opportunity equals profit. Vera says that helps. And to celebrate, they pull a B&E. It's a funny joke on Jake and Odo that does, of course, land them all in trouble. Back on Bajor, science! Miles and Julian are figuring out the mystery of the Balrock. There is much love for Miles, the new Syrah. Bless my baby, request from villagers, attempted murder. Wait, what was that last one again? There's been this guy lurking around the village. First around the old Syrah, then around the new Syrah. Turns out, he was the old Syrah's apprentice, and he's none too happy about being passed over by the outsider that is O'Brien. He'll offer the chief no help, though he will happily try to dispatch the new Syrah. Bashir arrives in time to stop the assassination, though. He and O'Brien wrestle the knife away from the passed-over apprentice. He says O'Brien is not the true Syrah, and O'Brien says, Yeah, pal, you're right. The apprentice says he is the true Syrah. Act 5. This guy studied under the old Syrah for nine years. Then, three nights ago, the Syrah allowed him to tell the story, and he totally whiffed it. When the Dalrock appeared, he was unable to control it. And so the apprentice thinks the Syrah punished him for his failure by making O'Brien the new Syrah. Here's how the whole thing works, by the way. Many years ago, the villagers were at each other's throats. So the first Syrah used a bit of a mystical orb, see DS9 Season 1, Episode 1, to focus the hatred of the people, give it physical form, give them something to hate and fear, and they'll stop hating and fearing each other. Then tell them a good story about how, together, they're stronger than that thing that's trying to kill them, and they'll stick together. They'll win. Also, keep doing it once a year so they don't go back to trying to hate and kill each other. For the whole thing to work, though, you have to tell a good story. Something the kid was unable to do. Because the villagers don't know that the whole thing's a sham. It's a secret that's passed from one Syrah to the next along with a bracelet that has a piece of the mystical orb in it. The kid is sure that he could do it this time, which sounds fine to O'Brien, but the magistrate catches wind of the plan. O'Brien is the Syrah, not the apprentice. He won't hear of the two switching roles. So, time to get O'Brien ready for story time. Back on DS9, Varys is trying to take the heat for the B&E. She likes Jake. And Nog. But Jake was the one that she really wanted to hang out with to learn about Commander Sisko. She seems to have come to respect Benjamin, the way Jake does. And now they can finally talk. Varys is worried that to give concessions to the Navat will seem a sign of weakness. You don't lose by saying no. Maybe, says Sisko, but a great leader is one who's willing to risk saying yes. In the end, Varys seizes on an opportunity that will benefit both sides. Free trade for her people in the Navat territory in exchange for the return of their ancestral land. No one's sure the Navat will accept, but the deal sounds good to Sisko. Back on Bajor, story time! And O'Brien is terrible at it. And everyone is freaking out, though Bashir hits on something. 
Maybe this was the old Siraz plan. Install a terrible storyteller, let him bring the village to the edge of destruction, which O'Brien is doing very well at, then step in, tell a rousing tale, and take your earned place as Sirrah. And it works. I mean, O'Brien kind of had to almost be killed first, but really it's a small price to pay. The apprentice, scratch that, the new Sirrah, is able to focus the villagers. And they are able to drive back the Dalrock. The end. Look, I, I'm just going to cut to it. That Every time you say Syrah, I have a serious craving for red wine. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, like every single time. I, maybe, an, maybe an old Syrah, maybe a new Syrah. I, and I, either way. Yeah. I'll take it. I get that. Although, I mean, two things. First of all, I'm a, I'm a Cabernet Sauvignon guy. Okay. And the other thing is, I just kept thinking about that time when I was just a little girl. And I asked my mother, what will I be? Mm-hmm. Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Mm. I don't remember what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Here's what she said to me. Okay, Sarah. Sarah. Uh, yeah. Right. Whatever. Uh. I mean, will be. <laughs> will be. I'll tell you my favorite part of this episode, honestly. Uh, you know that uh, you know that thing you see on online sometimes? This may be the first time that old man yells at cloud is actually mm-hmm. newsworthy. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's that meme taken from The Simpsons. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of yelling at a cloud. <laughs> There's Good. much yelling at a cloud, yes, which looked a yeah. bit like the things from oh, Close Encounters or Indiana Jones, honestly. Yes, it definitely had an indie feel to it. Um, I, I kept thinking that it was the id monster from Forbidden Planet. I mean, not not because it looked like the id monster from Forbidden Planet. Yeah, because it didn't look like it at all. No, it didn't look like it at all, but just the whole idea. Like, oh, it's the monster that we create ourselves, and and there it is coming huh. at you. And mm-hmm. I, wonder if, I wonder if that will come up again later. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I wonder. I feel like we might have one or two things to talk about in the next segment. Um, By the way, I do believe that we've hit this rule before on Mission Log, uh, but it bears repeating. If someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they need to clearly watch Ghostbusters in that classroom while Keiko's still away and uh, Miles O'Brien is in charge. They just need to have one day where he runs a movie and he just runs uh, he, he just runs Ghostbusters because he can, you know, kids will like it. Um, by the way, I was wondering if everybody has the Bajoran symbol as a design motif like the Syrah. I didn't even notice what you're talking about. Okay, so like on his door, right, and, and, and particularly from the back, and you see the light coming in from the door. It, it's that Bajoran motif, the the the, the com badge that Kira wears. Okay, right, right. So and it's just kind of everywhere. And once you see it, you just see it everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> it's a bit it's like kind of, it's yeah. a bit like the branding and discovery. A bit like it, yeah. It's just we're gonna put that Starfleet logo on everything. You wake up every day. It's like what planet am I on again? Oh yeah, Bajor. Right. And it's just it's just a planet wide thing. So you're a fan of the Bajoran symbol all over the place. I will say I'm a huge fan of uh, Miles O'Brien's amazing Technicolor dream coat. That that is quite the coat. It yes. is. Yes. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, the Syrah the Syrah was a showy fellow, I would mm-hmm. say. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know if that plays into his whole thing or what. <laughs> but yeah, when they're putting that code on him, I was just like, hey, go, go, Joe. No, Miles. Miles. <laughs> it's Miles. That's right. Yeah. Great. Now we owe Angelou and Weber a, a royalty. Thanks. Yeah. Um, hey, I know that this is not important at all to the story or the discussion, uh, but when did Nog replicate the oatmeal? And, and and did he plan on that all along? I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's a good joke. Like, oh, you've got Odo all over you now. Oh, he totally um, planned it all along. I thought it was an awesome joke, honestly. It was a, it was a great joke. But but I, I'm just curious, like, had he replicated the oatmeal, say, like, earlier that morning? He was just waiting for the chance a few hours later. He had it stashed somewhere that he could get to it in that little side room. I I just yeah I I wasn't sure when he did that. Uh, how long do you have to let oatmeal sit before like ah this joke is totally going to pay no. off? <laughs> John know? Champion, ruiner of comedy. Just enjoy the joke. Just enjoy the not, joke. Not a ruiner of comedy. I just look. It took planning. It took some planning. It did. I say we just we just we just applaud for Nog because you know. He thought ahead and he pulled off, you know, a really good joke. Now. He did. He did. If there is a counselor on Deep Space Nine, I would suggest that Jake go there because he did think that he had the security officer all over him. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, and that might, be a little, oh. that might be a little hard for him to deal with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, because, of course, we talked about Rom and the uh, trading card segment. And um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier that he did get a mention in this episode. It was probably the funniest thing. In yeah. the episode. And and the episode yeah. is not devoid of comedy, but the part where Jake says that asking his dad is helpful and Nog said that asking his dad is not helpful. Yeah. Just so well written, so well delivered. <laughs> I got to say, we're only, what, 14 episodes in now? 13, 14, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. They have already treated kids better in these 13 or 14 episodes than they did the whole time of TNG. Yeah. I mean, and 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 you could argue that part of it is because... Uh, the gentleman playing Nog is nothing like a kid, but they're not writing them stupid either. I mean, he's not being he's not being made to do stupid lines or say stupid things. It's they're they're hitting it out of the park with the children. I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Hey, uh, how do you think Keiko reacts to this whole story when she asks Miles what he's been up to while she was gone? Well, I certainly didn't sleep with three nubile young women, that's for sure. <laughs> but I might have become a god on Bajor. Well, only for like a few days. That was it. Stop. Del Rock cannot 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 stop. We will dig deeper into the storyteller in a moment, but first a word from LinkedIn. Do you know how to hire the right person for a job? LinkedIn does. Because LinkedIn is about work. Sure, you can post to a regular job board, but that'll only get you people looking for a job. LinkedIn is less about finding a job and more about improving abilities, growing a network, and yes, exploring job opportunities as well. It's like a social network with a business focus. Now, maybe you know LinkedIn as a place to find a job. So doesn't it make sense that it'd be a great place to find talent? Hundreds of thousands of businesses have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year, and they should since, get this, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. But here's what's really cool. LinkedIn is targeting qualified candidates. 
taking into account skills, experiences, location, and more to find the right people for you. That's one reason businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals. 22 million, Ken. That's more than there are episodes of Mission Log. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. Every industry. So let's get you set up with the next member of your team. Go to linkedin.com slash mission log and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash mission log for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Get a $50 credit toward your first job post at linkedin.com slash mission log. And a big thanks to LinkedIn for sponsoring this week's show. So right off the bat, you know, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, DS9 has done a better job dealing with children mm-hmm. than, than anything we've seen on uh, Next Gen. I, I'd even say TOS, uh, uh, certainly including uh, And the Children Shall Lead, not, not a, <laughs> maybe not a great portrayal of children, although Charlie X. Charlie X is a very nuanced and, and multifaceted look at, uh, at that young man. But um, there's something else that I like here about this episode, because it, it's at once strange and also kind of believable, this weird mixed bag of signals we're getting about what it's like on Bajor and what it means to be Bajoran. Mm -hmm. So they've been at war with the Cardassians. Uh, They have some deep religious slash spiritual beliefs. Now they have technology and they are spacefaring and uh, they sometimes have short fuses see Kira (laughs) and others. Uh, But then you've also got these kind of agrarian villagers, kind of agrarian anyway. They they seem not too into futuristic technology. Um, They fight amongst themselves. They have their own sort of theatrics that they do every year to keep themselves from killing each other. Um, I, I kind of wondered if people in other parts of Bajor or like, yeah, uh, that village over there. Uh, don't don't go to that village. They they have a whole thing where a monster comes every year, and then an old man gives a speech, and and it's all for show, but it's actually really dangerous. Uh, just stick with worshiping non corporeal aliens from a wormhole and and mystical orbs. Stay away from that village. Well, I would say go there for the apple butter. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you there. know, you can get some fresh, yeah, yeah, fruits some, and vegetables, some and, good quilts. Mm-hmm. And maybe some good uh, handmade furniture, things like that. Mm-hmm. See, what's interesting to me is you keep saying, well, you said a couple of times in there that it's all for show. The villagers don't know that. And and while you were just sort of like going through that, you, you kind of blew my mind a tiny bit because there was something that was been, you know, sort of uh, nibbling at the back of my brain. I couldn't think of what it was. Uh, mm-hmm. These people are being held back by their superstition. Yep. These people are being held back by their religion. These people yep. are being held back by their belief in and an angry, you know, whatever. Now, what's cool is they find they find it in themselves to beat that. They unite to beat that, but they're only able to unite because they got something to beat. Yeah. Well, you know, go back to our discussion about uh, first contact and kind of the the crushing depression of the idea that we will only be better when we face an existential threat from the outside. No. So you mean you mean first contact the movie? 
First Contact the movie. Yes, not not First Contact with uh, B.B. Newworth. You know. because, well, no, because there's, I mean, there's actually a parallel to both of those in that there case, is, right? Yes, because yeah. First Contact, the episode, they decided, yeah, it turns out people aren't really ready for truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to hide them away from that and going to hide that away from them. But you're right. Yes, it was, it, was, it was First Contact, the movie, where we did talk about the fact that, you know, there was the alien whatever. It yeah. was the thing that we had to rally. At least, though, that was a real thing that they had to rally to beat. <laughs> right, right. Well, and see, here's the thing, though. Yeah, it, as you point out, the villagers don't know that it's theatrics. Right. Although they, there is some theater to the idea of just showing up in a place and yelling and screaming at the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Syrah and the next Syrah in line, and whoever that Syrah might tell, although they've been able to keep the secret at least for a little while now, they know. They know that it's theater, and they know that they do this every year because, well, it's it's what ties us together, and it's what the people want, and really, who's it hurting? And, and see, now I go down this whole trail of something we've talked about before, which is, yes, given a choice, I'm going to come down on the side of truth, with a capital T in this case, to say they should actually know the truth. Because here's that thing about false belief. You know, I, I wondered if we spend too much time entertaining ourselves with with stories about being better and doing good and and not actually putting those things into action. So it, look at it this way. The, the Bajorans in that village are really into their story about the Dalrock. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Dalrock is a thing that, that they can see and will hurt them when it comes out once a year. And they, they really get worked up about the whole thing, uh, about the Syrah, about the story. And, and again, the, the theatrics and the ceremony and tradition of it all, but they don't seem to let the message stick. They, they're, they're reaffirming to themselves every year that they won't kill each other. And that they'll work together. But at what point do they decide that they don't need an outside thing to believe in to make that happen? I mean, look, the the whole reason the Dalrock is there is because of their beliefs. No, the whole reason the Dalrock is there is because somebody a long time ago figured out how to sort of like absolve these people of having to do the actual work of getting along. The whole reason the Dalrock is there, right, is because some guy built a thing, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. thing is set to come back every however many days minus five. Mm -hmm. At the end of the harvest, that thing comes and it will kill them if they don't all get together and, you know, do their Care Bear stance and shoot the light, (laughs) you know, up (laughs) at the cloud to sort of burst it and make everything better, right? I mean, at this point, at this point, you have a... You have a priest class that knows the truth, but is keeping that truth from people. Maybe the first time, maybe the second time, maybe even the third Syrah, because people weren't quite ready to let go of that. But go back to battle lines. They don't even know why they're fighting anymore. They just know they're fighting. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's possible the people in this village don't remember why they were fighting because they've spent, what, how many decades? How How many centuries? We don't know. They've spent, you know, the entirety of this village has been, yeah, one time we almost, you know, destroyed each other. But then this thing came, we've been fighting that. What if the Balrog just didn't show up one year? Yeah. They would still have to worry about the possibility of the Balrog. And so maybe they wouldn't keep fighting at that point. 
But I mean, really what you've got, because look what happened when the new Surah came. They brought food. They brought gifts. They brought, they brought sexual partners. Okay, that priest class is not going anywhere. <laughs> They're just not, because why yeah. would they? Yeah, you know, it might be better for the villagers if they didn't believe in this, but, um, but then what would it be like for me? Yeah, right, right. But, but I mean, the, here's the thing, you know, the, and, and this is where it gets a little weird with, with talking about the complexities of Bajoran culture. So they, they understand, obviously, uh, like I said, they're a spacefaring culture. They understand the idea that there's a space station and that these guys came from the space station. They have technology that will help them and, uh, and help their sick Sira, although he's just going to die anyway, because that's just kind of what has to happen here. But, uh, O'Brien whips out a tricorder and he says, well, here's what the cloud is. Here's what it's not. It's a thing that we can study and eventually understand. You would think that some of the other Bajorans would do that. Or let's even not take the technological angle. I wonder how many other Bajorans there would say to themselves, you know, I'm, I'm tired of every year having to go yell at the cloud monster. I wonder if there's a city on Bajor, there's a big planet where I wouldn't have to do that. Where, you know, d does the cloud only come here or does it go everywhere? Yeah. Is, is that like a lie that the rest of Bajor has to tell? Right. right. Like if somebody from this village goes to another village, you're like, oh, yeah, no, we, we, we fought the Balrock last week. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't stay here. Go back to your own village. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. We almost didn't do it, but we did because, yeah. you know, we always do, just like you. But see, that's kind of where I am with with wondering what, what is the problem here that they they don't. Yes, they understand the lesson of the Dalrock in the moment. Mm -hmm. the The lesson is, hey, don't fight with each other. You can band together, work together, and you'll be all right. But. At a certain point, it just becomes sort of the repetition of the story. And for that moment, for those few days out of the year where they get to gather together and do that, but again, it will come back every year for them right. to remind themselves of that thing where you could actually take a step back and say, oh, well, th this is a thing we created. It's a thing that wa was created. It's a thing that we keep feeding so we could actually not do that anymore if we understood the truth of that thing. See also, let that be our last battlefield, the outcasts, etc. This is a thing that we could actually stop if we just took a step back and said, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, except I don't think so, because they actually physically see the physical thing that's coming to destroy them each time. That's a problem. I mean, the, I, I, the, the, yeah, priest, I, I, the priests in this case, and I'm sorry, the priests, the storytellers, the Sarahs, whatever, they should be strung up. And, and you know, let's, let's just say, you know, tied up by their ankles and hung upside down to really think about what it is that they did. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm not going to advocate killing the priest no, 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 class. No, yeah. They need time to think about it, though. They yes. need time to think about what they did. Yes, they should actually tell the truth. I mean, I can't fault the villagers at this point because every year something nearly kills them. We see it blow things up. We see that it knock people over. We see their village nearly destroyed by this thing unless they do this other thing. So there's physicality to everything that they're doing. It's not real, but only we know that. They don't know that. This is not blind faith. This is, I stood out there, I believed. 
when my belief started to falter, the light that was you know beating the thing got weaker, my belief got stronger, we were able to fight back this thing that was literally going to kill us. I can't fault these villagers at all. I have to fault the Syrah. And, and again, maybe a thousand years ago, it was a good idea and it was what they needed to do for a little while to get past. The only problem is once you start lying, that's just easy. It just gets easier at that point to be like, well, you know, we were going to tell you 50 years later, but I like free food and I cannot lie. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I kept wondering how close had somebody else gotten, again, somebody else on Bajor who's maybe visiting the village for a weekend, somebody in the village who's maybe gone off to a technical college somewhere on Bajor and said, hey, look, there, there are natural phenomena that we can study, that we can figure out. Why can't we study and figure out this thing to defeat it once and for all? Okay, here's the problem. This really should have been a TNG episode. This either should have been a TNG episode or a TOS episode or a Voyager episode because you can't move Deep Space Nine to another planet, right? (laughs) Right. And so they're going to go down to where they're going to go down to. And where they're going to go down to is the place that we know is technologically advanced. And all of a sudden, there's this one thing. I mean, this should, this honestly should have been not on Bajor because you're right. I mean, at this point, they look Amish or they look like, you know, an undiscovered tribe someplace. Yeah. They look like people who have, who have sort of shunned. Um, modern technology. And there's nothing wrong with shunning modern technology if that's what you want to do. Uh, the only thing is they're also shunning common sense because mm-hmm. they then, kind of like the Paku, now that you mention it though, mm-hmm. they were completely, by the way, I so want to play poker with Kira. I so want to play poker with Kira. <laughs> because she hid her surprise <laughs> at the appearance of Verisul really well. Um, the Paku apparently don't talk to anybody. Yeah, right. We actually hear that at the beginning. And now we got these guys who, you know, except for their roadside stand where they do make the best hand-churned butter you've ever had in your mm. entire life. Oh, yeah. Except for that and their craft sales, they apparently don't talk to anybody from outside either. <sighs> I mean, there's a, real, there's a real moral here. There are real morals yeah. and real messages here. And the problem is it's really easy to get stuck on the part of like, and why have they not gone anyplace else on the planet to find out that the ball rock is hokey? Right. Or hokum. Right. Excuse me. That's right. not real. Right. That it's a fake yeah. thing. And it was a TNG episode. It was intended as a TNG episode. And you can yeah. see why. Yeah. Because, it, you know, the, the, the Picard god or the Data god or the Riker god shows up and at the end pulls the curtain off and says, see, the only thing you had to fear was your own anger with each other. And we all have our own Dalrock. And Sometimes that Dalrock is just the anger we feel toward each other. Sometimes it's an actual Dalrock that is a cloud monster that threatens to kill you for five days out of every year. Because then in that TNG episode, they just go away and we'd be done with it. But but here, yeah, we're left with many, many more questions than we started out with. This storyteller is Les Mother Goose. And more grim. Very, very grim. Boy, storyteller, huh? <laughs> Time now to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings uh, in this episode and figuring out whether the whole episode stands the test of time. Yeah, this is the part of the show a lot of the times where we talk about the uh, the title 
And what's really interesting is a lot of times they're clever and the title will actually tie into uh, both plots, both stories. Because a lot of times there's an A plot and a B plot and, uh, and the storyteller definitely applies to the A plot this time. Definitely applies to what's going on with Miles O'Brien and Julian mm-hmm. Bashir and Nameless Apprentice Dude. And, and I don't think it applies at all to the B plot. By the way, there is a B plot in this episode. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I feel a little bad because I, it, this is an episode, as you teased before, where there's a whole lot of moral meaning messages uh, going on. And uh, there's a good amount of action going on. There's a good amount of character work going on. We didn't even touch on the B plot. Um, and it was something that I had watched this episode several times before then stopped a little bit, then came back to watch it again before he recorded. And I actually forgot that this B-plot was a part of this episode. Mm. So it's not that it was bad, not that it was even forgettable. It's just no. you would say the storyteller part is so front and center. That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just felt very far removed. Um, but but look, I'll say this for the episode. Uh, some of the effects, like the Dalrock, don't really hold up. Uh, hmm. the, the, the practicals, the practical effects really do. I just think the cloud monster itself, that kind of weird cloud arm reaching out, eh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little hokey, you know. The cloud monster itself I thought was fantastic, but then the thing mm-hmm. that shot down, it's like, oh, well, that, that's what it takes me out of it. Yeah, not good, not good. Um, but here's the thing, it, it's a solid story that's been told a few different ways, and then they put the right Star Trek spin on it. Um, you get good character stuff, and as we said, we got some ideas to chew on here, too. And I'm talking about the A-plot primarily there. The B-plot just feels like a separate story happening mm-hmm. to people from a different planet. They could very well have been from a different planet. Um, and I wish we had got something more out of it. But it's a cute idea to have Jake and Nog bumbling around to impress a girl. And, and yeah, it's fun to have her as a political leader. And yeah, we have a dispute that ends with a discussion and acceptance rather than war. Um, but I felt like because it was shoehorned into this episode, we got only the broadest brushstrokes of that. Um, but uh, it, taken as a whole, I think the episode works really well. But I, I think what people will remember from this episode will be the O'Brien storyteller story. And, and I can't remember if I mentioned as we were naming off other episodes, just reminded us of who watches The Watchers. Definitely, I feel like there's a parallel there. Different type of ending. That TNG episode had a very different type of ending. But it felt like some of the themes being explored were very similar. Um the B plot, look, we might have given it short shrift here because I think the character stuff is really nice and there's a sort of a truth, an honesty to what we're getting out of the kids' performances here that is really nice. But I think you will remember these two stories as very separate things. <laughs> Somebody mm-hmm. says, tell me about DS9 storytelling. You're going to say, oh, yeah, Cloud Monster, O'Brien, and uh, the Sierra. And then you won't remember that the stuff with the kids was in that episode. That that's the only problem with the the writing here. Um, but overall, it's it's quite solid. Uh, how about you? What's interesting is I actually I found myself more drawn to the kids. 
I mean, it's mm. not it, it's not an A plot by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, when I do think back on it, and maybe it's because so much of what's going on with the A plot is action. There mm. was, I mean, there was much more you know character study. There was much more growth. And and there are neat things to find out too. I mean, you know, Nog can acknowledge the fact that his dad's not smart, but he's <laughs> he, but he is learning from him. Mm-hmm. He's learning a lot, and then he's able to take that thing right that he's learning and share it with somebody else, and that's actually able to help save the day. When you know, when she says she's having a problem, and he says it's actually an opportunity, that ends up being the thing that you know that her final decision hinges on, right? That mm-hmm. and Cisco saying. What what did she say? You don't lose by saying no. Yeah. And his response was, okay, yes, but, you know, a, a brave leader, a great leader is one who risks saying yes. And I found, and I also found that the humanity of, of, of those three characters, that relationship, that actually worked really well for me. So, so yeah. honestly, when I think about this, even though it makes no sense to say, oh, the storyteller, that's the one that had nothing to do with telling stories. That was actually the part that's shown out for me. That said, the actual storyteller part of the storyteller, I do love the arc for The Apprentice. Um, he failed. He wants to try again. In the end, he gets to prove himself. It's 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 very after-school special. It's very TV movie of the week. And it's very Star Trek. And that's great. What's not very Star Trek is leaving these people to be slaves to their own fear. <laughs> <laughs> rather than realizing, hey, we don't have to fight, we'd be better off working together, and we'd be better off without this irrational superstition that on some level is holding us back. Um, you're not going to believe these words are going to come out of my mouth, but this episode made me miss Kirk. Mm. Because mm-hmm. because there would be no Balrock by the time Kirk left this, left this village. Yeah, right. He'd pull the plug on the computer, and uh, or he'd shoot it, and done. Done. Yes, or yeah. he would, or he would say, you know, maybe he would talk them into finally killing it once and for all. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would, like, you know, tell a story that was such a great story that there's no way they could ever possibly think about fighting ever, and it would just literally destroy the. You'd be finding pieces of Balrock all over the place. <laughs> That's how destroyed it would be at that point. Yeah. Um, and of course, I did find myself wondering what would Picard have done in this situation. It, you know, it's it's very weird, again, and it's weird especially because it's our Starfleet people. Look, the Bajorans are obviously going to let these people do whatever because they're from Bajor. They are yeah. Bajoran. Kira, the Kai, nobody cares that these guys are, like, you know, <laughs> doing whatever they're doing on the side. It is weird that you have Miles and uh, and Bashir, uh, two people wearing Starfleet uniforms, going. Let's leave them to their pile of crazy while we've got a chance, right? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of odd. Um, but I liked it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I don't like I don't like the message. I don't like the way these people are living their lives. I don't like the fact that nobody has talked to them. I don't like the fact. Okay, let's play with it just for a minute. The Sarah is telling his story to Miles, and Miles says, good, you can have it. Mm-hmm. The Sarah is telling this story to Picard. Yeah. What happens then? Yeah, well, it, it will go back to, uh, let's preface that with uh, the Sarah is telling the story to Kirk, and uh, Kirk is outraged and wants to pull the plug. Right. Uh, he, he tells that story to Picard, and then Picard has a, a really logical, reasonable, but heartfelt discussion saying, 
you don't need to keep your people enslaved with this superstition and, oh, that's and, interesting. and talk some out of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm going to go with. I forgot, by the way, what Kirk would do is just break the bracelet because it's the bracelet that's actually, it's the mystical orb bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That's actually making the whole thing happen. So, yeah, Kirk would just smash it and yeah. say, you're free. And then you and I would be like, <laughs> who does he think he is destroying their civilization? <laughs> No, I, in this case, I'd be all over it because there's, there's a whole lot of other Bajor and these people are going to be fine because other Bajorans are going to be fine. They, they just don't need the threat of the superstitious cloud monster to come, you know, threaten to destroy them five days out of the year every year. So, yeah, here's the thing. I'm totally on the same page with you as far as that moral meaning message at the end being kind of a mess. I think from the A plot, there's a great moral meaning message, which is that we're – I'm sorry, but the B plot, we're mm -hmm. left with a great moral meaning message that you have these these battling factions on Bajor, and it's a political dispute. And at the end, the message that we learn is compromise isn't weak, and someone doesn't have to lose for you to win. This is wonderful, great Star Trek stuff. Yeah. From the A plot – Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the villager pleading to uh, uh, Miles, but who will tell the story after the Syrah dies? And I, you just that's the point that Kirk would grab him and physically shake him and say something like, find your own voice. You don't need a holy man. This is a made up threat. <laughs> it's a real threat, but it exists for a made up reason. And you can untangle that. You can you can logic your way out of this. You can fix it. And at the end of the day, you can actually live by the point of the story. The point being, you should live together and work together and not beat each other up over these little things instead of having to come out of your doors and face an existential threat every year to remind you to be nice to each other. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, in in my version of the story, which, like yours, the TNG or TOS version, just pull the plug on the whole thing. Come on, guys. You, you don't need to be frightened of the scary sky god coming to kill you. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Be sure to check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network, home to, oh golly, a number of podcasts like Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Track Files, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do that at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, progress. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Looking to get away from the hustle and bustle of your 24th century life? Dalrock's Hollow. Plan your pre-harvest or post-harvest getaway today. And transmission.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.